Christ is risen. risen Father Chris came up to me right before service and he said, I had the most incredible revelation about these texts and I didn't text you about them. (laughs) So if whatever happens here is less than inspiring, maybe Father Chris could stick around after service and just (laughs) preach a whole different sermon and, and maybe... That'll do it for you today. This, uh, this week, we celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany. About 15 of us gathered here on Friday. It was our first ever um, celebration of that feast as a, as a, as a church. Uh, we've never come together for Epiphany, the actual feast day. And it was simple. It was sweet. We came together. We came to the table. Um, and so hopefully that'll be something that we continue to do well into the future. But this feast is... It's a feast about the way that God makes God's self known, how that happens and why that happens. Another word for this is theophany. Theophany is this fancy word meaning the visible manifestation of God to humanity. And this feast for us, it revolves around two stories that we're all likely familiar with. The first is in the Eastern tradition, this feast focuses primarily on the baptism of Jesus, this this moment where before any miracles are witnessed, before any water is turned into wine, before any blind eyes are opened or any sickness is healed, before any of that happens, before Jesus does anything, God speaks and announces his blessing. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. In the Western traditions, our tradition, the Feast of Epiphany focuses primarily on the story of the Magi, these these stargazing Zoroastrians who become the first ones to recognize Jesus for who he is, to recognize him as Emmanuel, God with us. And they recognize him, they worship him, they give him gifts, And they do all of this as outsiders. They do all of this as people who are not part of the people of God traditionally and historically. I was thinking this week about these these magi and how they're, they're such strange, peculiar characters for us. They're not part of the people of God, as I mentioned. We don't know much about them. Um... And so I was thinking this week, like, like, how do they even become magi, right? These, these Zoroastrian priests, like, how, how does somebody stumble their way into becoming one of these magi? And a lot of it takes some speculation, right? Because, again, we don't know much about these people. But thinking about my own life and witnessing the life of my children, my three kids, there are, there are things in all of us that, that spark life for us, ways that we instinctually connect with God and with others and with ourselves, knowing who we are. These things that spark in us, the ways that we know God and then make God known to others. For me, ever since I was a little kid, there was something about being outside. I remember I used to, hope my parents aren't watching today, but I, I used to sneak out of our house at night, not to do anything crazy, but just to go out onto the property where we lived and, and be outside and, and look at stars. And there was something about those experiences where I felt like myself. 
And something about those experiences where I felt close to God. So to this day, whenever I'm starting to feel unlike myself, whenever I'm starting to feel disconnected from God's own life, I just go outside. I walk around a little bit. All of us have these different ways in which we connect with the divine, connect with ourselves to know who we are, to know whose we are. And I have to imagine, I love to imagine, that these magi, they become magi not because their parents forced them like they're going to law school or something. They're not the ones who are forced to go become doctors or engineers. I love to imagine that they didn't do this out of obligation in some way. They weren't forced into this kind of occupation, that they became who they were because they were simply the ones who couldn't stop looking up, that they chase this star that leads them to this child, not because they're simply following orders, but they chase that star out of a childlike sense of awe and wonder placed in them by God's own self. This week I was reading uh, a book by a man named Clint Smith called How the Word Was Passed. And the book is, is, is reckoning with the history of slavery in the United States. Not, not just the issue of slavery, but the, specifically the history of it and how that history gets told. Who gets to tell this story and how do they tell that story? And before chapter one, before anything is written in this book, there's this quote from Toni Morrison. She says this, you know, they straightened out the Mississippi River in places to make room for houses and livable acreage. Occasionally the river floods these places. Floods is the word they use, but in fact it is not flooding, it is remembering remembering where it used to be. One of the reasons I think we need a season like Epiphany, we need a season that offers us space to consider how God makes himself known to us is because we tend to forget those sparks that made our hearts leap as children. Those things that we naturally were, were drawn to that brought us life and led us to the life that really is life. We forget those stirrings in us that turned us up to the stars. We get too busy, our lives get too crowded and those leaps and stirrings, they feel so impractical, right? They feel so childish. And when we do feel it, when we do feel those leaps, when we do feel those moments of excitement, Rather than leaping into it, what actually happens is it brings up fear and it frightens us in some way. Too much pressure as children can shape us in some pretty unhealthy ways. When kids experience too much pressure from peers or parents or whomever, it starts to shape us in ways that I don't think we were intended to be shaped as children. But as, as adults, as we grow up and learn what it is to take responsibility, 
That pressure, it isn't something that frightens us so much as it's something that we just acclimate to, something that we get used to. And we acclimate to those pressures of adulthood and real life so well that in fact we, we normalize it so much that we often come to exert that pressure onto other people. And it distorts our relationship with one another with ourselves, distorts our relationship with, with creation. I think as, as children, again, as we're doing this work of remembering who we are and where we came from, as children, we wonder at life. We are, we're curious. We, we trap, well, if you're anything like my kids, we trap bugs and put them in jars and then put those jars right next to where we sleep. But as adults, we're not so much caught up in, in wonder so much as we start to be about protecting the lives that we've made for ourselves. And anything that threatens that life, anything that disrupts that life as we imagine it, we start to fear it as a death of sorts. We fear death in all of its forms, not just in losing our, our breath, but in losing our life, the life that we make for ourselves, the homes and the livable acreage that we've carved out for ourselves. And because we fear death, we want so much, so badly for our lives to matter our lives mattering, having, having some kind of meaning is the thing that we think is going to make our lives matter beyond our own life. And so what do we do? We shore up our lives. We try to meet the expectations of other people, exceed the expectations of other people. But when that is our norm, when all of our lives are oriented to meeting other people's expectations, protecting the life that we've made for ourselves, we will inevitably lose that childlike wonder, those sparks, those things that made us leap into joy, which inevitably means we are going to lose touch with the very thing that God has placed in us as ways of recognizing God's own life. Fortunately, like the Magi, our hearts will remember. Our hearts inevitably will draw us back to those moments and to those things and to those places and to those people that caused our hearts to leap. And at least part of this, this season of epiphany this season of reflecting on who this child is that comes to us. Part of the point for us is to learn to grow down into our own childlikeness. This moment is about acknowledging it is a child who comes to us. The Magi recognize God in a child that's given. Not 
some adult who just appears on the scene, who has everything figured out, but a, a, a God who has come to us as a child, who has taken on our own flesh, who takes on a human name, becomes one of us in every way, who takes on pain and disappointment, who takes on excitement and, and expectation, one who steps into our life and has to learn and the frustration that's involved with that. This is the one who comes to us. We are called to grow down into that childlikeness of our own faith and our own understanding to return to those first things that sparked joy and a sense of awe and wonder in you. Not just because life is to be enjoyed. I mean, it is to be enjoyed, but not just because of that, but because that spark, that thing that brings you joy, that thing that causes wonder and awe to stir up in you, that thing is placed in you by God, and it is one of the surest ways that God is making God's self known to you. If you have felt disconnected to God in this season, don't just run off to self-help books. Don't try and you know, do all the mental gymnastics to figure out what's going on. Think about when you were a child. What was it in you that caused joy and wonder and awe to stir up and well up in you? This is what Epiphany offers us. This is what happens in this season, that God makes God's self known to us. Why? So that we can know who we really are. So we can remember who we really are. This is why Jesus comes to us in the first place. The mothers and fathers of the church, they insist that God sends his son in Jesus and takes on the fullness of humanity. Why? Because we had forgotten who we were. We had forgotten that we were made for life and not for death. We had forgotten the God who makes himself known to us and we had bought into all kinds of counterfeit sparks and hopes. And in the middle of that forgetting, God sends his son so we can remember who God is and who we were always meant to be. The one in whom I am well pleased. Our entire life with God and with one another is a life of remembering who we are in spite of the houses and the livable acreage that we've made for ourselves. This is what happens to Jesus at his baptism. Before Jesus enters into his mission, before he steps into all of the pressures, he goes back to the beginning. He repeats his birth, coming up out of the waters, and he is given a name, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. By returning to the beginning, remembering that his life is a gift that is given for the whole world, he is born into the world again with the announcement that he is beloved. And you've heard us say this here at Sanctuary before, but our hope is that whatever happens to Jesus, 
happens so that whatever happens to us happens differently. So that when we go down into the waters of baptism, and we have some who are going down into those waters today, that same announcement is made over us. We are the beloved with whom God is well pleased. Before we do anything, God is well pleased. You are the beloved. Listen, we're here at the beginning of a year, and maybe you've set out on all kinds of different resolutions and ways to make yourself a better person. That's wonderful. There is no resolution that if kept perfectly would make God love you anymore. There is no resolution that if you fail at it miserably will make God love you any less. The first thing we need to hear at the beginning of a year when everybody's trying to sell you planners and all the things they think are gonna make you keep these resolutions better, the first thing we need to hear is that you are beloved and God is well pleased. You are loved. Now, should we do some things to try and better ourselves? Sure, that's wonderful. But it won't change the fact that you are beloved and that God is well pleased. This is what it is to go back to the beginning. But to go back to the beginning does mean this. It does mean we have to go down. We have to go into these waters, into that childlike spark that turned us to the stars in the first place. We have to return to it. Rowan Williams, my friend, you didn't think we'd go too far into the year without a Rowan Williams quote. He talks about this as the joy of being taken back to the beginning. For those of you who are raising children, he says this is one of the ways that you can return to that joy is start to learn how to teach your children about Jesus. Because he says, you know, we have all these ideas, we have all these ways that we think we understand how the world works, how this kind of spirituality works. We think we've got it figured out, but he says, oh no, try to explain it to your child in a way that makes sense to them and we'll realize just how little we understand. But he says there's deep joy in going back to that beginning because we don't complicate things. We tell a simple story, a story that we remember that God loves us. That's it, that God loves us. Does this mean that as we learn to love ourselves and learn to love God and learn to love others, that life will just be cheery and bright? No, of course not. What is the very next thing that happens to Jesus after his baptism? He is driven out into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. The prophet Isaiah in our text for this week reminds us, darkness covers the earth but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear over you. This is Isaiah's announcement 
of what will happen on that day when the Lord appears, when a child, when Jesus is given to us and we see him and recognize him for who he is, that God's glory will appear upon you. That's the promise. And what is God's glory? Irenaeus famously stated that the glory of God is man fully alive. God's glory in your life is you knowing exactly who and whose you are. But we can only know who we are because God has made God's self known. That's epiphany. God makes God's self known to us. Why? So that we can know who we are and we can know who God is. Today, like the Magi, we follow a light that doesn't just shine out there, but a light that shines in all of us. Today, as we remember the baptism of the Lord, we remember our own baptisms. And we're going to give you that opportunity when we come to receive Eucharist, that as you come forward, you can touch these waters of baptism to remember your own baptism. We remember that we are already part of the new creation. And we live as ones whom God has called beloved, with whom God is well pleased. So this epiphany season, let's remain open to God's spark in our lives. Those things that cause wonder and awe to well up in us. Because if we're closed off to that goodness, if we're resistant to that kind of presence in our lives, then we're likely to experience God's presence in our lives more like flooding rather than remembering who we were always meant to be. Beloved. Beloved. Amen.